Welcome to Eat, Drink, Innovate, the podcast about food startups, innovators and entrepreneurs who are making their mark in Australia's dynamic food and beverage industry. The future of food is happening here. Come join Susie White at the table to eat, drink and innovate. Aha! Hi everyone, I'm Susie White and welcome to episode two. Today, I'm talking with Will Cook, one of the co-founders of Harvest Box. It's a small, rapidly growing snacking company based in Melbourne, Australia. Their ethos is simple. They want to make healthier snacking easy for everyone. They were tired of facing vending machines full of chips and chocolate bars when they were trying to snack healthily during the day. So they decided to do something about it and the innovative Harvest Box snacking subscription service was born. Hi, Will, and welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you, Susie. Nice to, nice to talk as well. Now, for any of our listeners who might not know what your business Harvest Box does, could you explain the products you make and what you do? Uh, Harvest Box is a uh, healthy snacking business is probably the best way to encapsulate it. And we're all about creating products that are better for you and it'll take you on the journey from you know not, not eating a Mars bar and, and moving across to a, a better for you product. We try and come up with multiple combinations of mixes of dried fruit, nuts, seeds with a little bit of chocolate in there sometimes and, and very much at the moment portion controlled, so around about 45 grams. So just a, just a sort of a, a quick sort of a product that you can grab and keep you on the go in a, in a healthy way. And I noticed on your website, you use this tagline that says, guilt-free snacking. Is that what most of your products deliver? Yeah, it, it, but for us, the philosophy in, in when we started the business is no matter what product you pick up from Harvest Box, it's better for you. It removes the guilt of, of what you're snacking on. And these days, you, you grab something quickly and you sort of snack on it and then you feel a little bit guilty afterwards going, well, I shouldn't have had that bag of chips or I shouldn't have had that chocolate bar. For us, it's the product that um, you can grab, eat it and, and be comfortable with it afterwards. And how long has your business been running for? We, we were incorporated and, and started to do things in 2010. 2010 and then 2011 is when we really started our subscription service. So, so about seven or eight years now. And how big is your business, Will? Um, maybe it would help if you gave us some idea of what your distribution is like currently. Harvestbox has about 17, I think, products now. We're ranged in nationally in Coles supermarkets across 10 different products. Um, we're ranged in Coles Express, Costco with a big bag format, WH Smith, BP, we also export to about seven countries as well. So we like to say that we're sort of we're we're, we're easily in three thousand or more stores and uh, are growing growing every every year. So I forgot one of the big things for us recently is that we're now ranged in um, Starbucks in the Philippines, which is going exceptionally well. Let's let's go back to the beginning because I really want to talk about your startup journey and you know before you started this business, Will, what were you doing at that time? I originally used to work for a company called Oracle. I was in, in software and, and, and selling financial products. I was one of the sales directors there. So completely different to food. Um, but I've always been somebody that's wanted to own their own business and was always looking for that opportunity or the right time to do that. I left Oracle and set up my own catering business before Harvest Box, and I did that for about three years. 
and sold that and, and then this opportunity to create Harvest Box with two of my long-term friends that I went to school with. You were in IT and you went, I'm, I'm going to start a catering business. D- did you know anything about food and catering? <laughs> yeah, 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 a little bit. I mean, I used to always work in catering previous to um, working for, for big corporate, so I did have a, a vague understanding. But, um, you know, you, it's amazing when it's your own business and your own idea how quickly you can learn. The, the great thing about entrepreneurs and business owners is they're always happy to help and always happy to, to talk to people because they've been in that situation before. So I, I, I got a lot of help. Was it successful? What, what made you then think, I'm going to sell this and, and start something different? It, it was successful to a certain extent, um, but there was a limit. And, and I think that's as a business owner, you need to be aware of limitations, whether that's yourself or whether that's the, the, the business or the industry you're, you were in. I saw a few limitations in growth. I wanted to go national when I first started up started it up and it was just Victorian based. The longer I was in it, I couldn't see how I could do that effectively. So I, I saw that as a, a good exit point. So you mentioned, I've, I've seen some other interviews with you and you, you talk about your, your kind of your, your friends and your other co-founders of the business, George and James. I went to school with them. So I've known them since I was uh, oh, 13 years old. So like it's effectively working with family, <laughs> um, which is which is great, and and there's positives and negatives with all of that. But it's something our friendship is what has allowed us to get through the hard times um, and move forward. So you know the positives certainly always outweigh the negatives. And can you describe that point where the three of you got together and went, we should do something in this area? How how did that come about? Oh, thinking back now, uh, it, it, was, it came about where uh, I think James came back from overseas and was looking for an opportunity. George had a business that he actually just recently sold and, and was looking at, at, at an opportunity. And I was in the same situation, recently sold a business or about to sell a business and looking for, for the next opportunity. And we were basically sitting there and, and believe it or not, at a pub sitting there and talking about different things and different opportunities, what the market was doing. And, and James actually mentioned a business in the UK that was doing something that we thought was quite cool. And, and we sort of took that and, and worked on it. And that's where Harvestbox came from. Is it true you wrote this down on a scribbled napkin? Was that your very first business plan? <laughs> we wrote lots of things on napkins. Um, by the end of it, we sort of pulled out this sort of healthy stacking and, and subscription service was the one that that stuck. That that was where it started. That was sort of the final idea that sort of we all agreed on. And this is this is the part where I think we're going to have to describe a little bit what you mean about a subscription service because if we told the regular person, oh, I'm going to start a you know fruit and nut snacking business, they'd think, oh, those those packs of the dried fruit and nut, and I'd probably see them in my grocery store. And but but you didn't go that way. Tell us about the subscription and why you started the business that way. But we, we saw an opportunity, um, and it was a little bit from our own experience, that eating at work was sometimes a struggle. Um, you know, you're, you're busy, the vending machine wasn't full of great food, and, and subscription services around about that time in 2010 were starting to pop up across the internet. And we thought, can we create a, a service that delivers, you know, portion-controlled snacks to people at work weekly? that they can, um, you know, snack on uh, regularly and they can keep on getting it and, and then stop whenever they want to. So we saw an opportunity that allowed people to get it straight there um, rather than going to have to find products. And, it, look, it was well received. We started off with 50 different mixes, which was hard for us to, to create and, and pack, but it gave the consumer 
a variety. So, you know, the idea is that you didn't receive the same mix every week. So you kept on getting varieties based on what you like or disliked. And how did you physically get it to people? What delivery mechanism did you put in place? Australia Post. And that was a lot of work, six months of work of creating a box that fitted a certain size parameter and cost. Uh, If it was one millimetre higher, it would um, be four times more expensive to send. So we, we had to create a box that fitted a certain requirement that allowed us to post. So the box that we created, which had four punnets in, um, was posted as a letter. And that allowed us to, to reduce our cost. And so, Will, how did you know what fruit and nut mixes people wanted? People could rate their mixes. So you, you when you signed up, you could rate what you liked or what you didn't like or what you were unsure of. And based on that, we had an algorithm that would choose mixes that would be you know, suitable for what your preferences were. Where are you working at this stage? Where are you and George and James doing this all? Um, we were lucky that I had a, a small warehouse from the catering business that I kept. We moved into the warehouse and that's where we could pack, actually pack the food and, and punnets and, and, and have the boxes ready to go. So we we're quite fortunate that we had that facility or small facility ready to use. Um, which which sped up the process very quickly. Okay. And, and could you afford staff, or is it just the three of you? Are you are you packing? Oh notes? no, 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 no staff. Um, I don't think many people can afford staff at the at the start. We did it all ourselves. Didn't pay ourselves for quite a, a bit of time, and you know we had to work during the day and work during the night to get things going and bring our wives in and and family members in um, at the start to assist. Great time to talk about the family. Did you have a family at that time, and what were they saying? I, I had a wife, uh, or I had a wife, <laughs> but for me the idea was to get something going before I, I, I had children, so we had the flexibility. Unfortunately, or fortunately, um, Harvestbox, when we launched the website and started the business, was literally the same week my first child was born. Um, so the best laid plans don't often always happen. Nothing like having a new business and a newborn at the same time. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, so, you, so you've got your partners in helping you, you're packing fruit and nuts, you've got your own warehouse. Was the website, when did that come along and how did that help you? The website came along at the end of 2010. We just sort of got it out there to, to start the process and get a few orders and to test it, which was great. So we didn't really launch into any marketing activities until 2011. And, and, and what we've learned is you can't be perfect the first time. So we got the website going, learned from things and, and, and constantly involved that and the product. And you, and you mentioned that, you know, that startup was certainly more expensive than your previous business, the catering. Was that just getting the inventory and the stock together or was it, was it yeah. like the website as well? The cost for us was we had to buy a machine to seal the punnets. We had to buy the punnets. Um, we had to buy the boxes, we had to buy a machine to strap the boxes, and that obviously costs money because you need to do that cost-effectively. You have to buy a reasonable amount of volume, or if you don't buy the volume, it obviously costs a huge amount per unit. So that initial cost was a reasonable amount, but you know we, we, we could control that because it was just three of us working in the business. And Will, that mail-out box, was that something unique to your business? Did you have to create it or could you just buy that off the shelf from a supplier? No, no. Unfortunately, because of the size of the box and the height of, of, of the box, there was nobody that had a pre-made plastic punnet. There was no machine that could 
do that automatically off the shelf. So we kind of had to custom fit a machine to, to, to seal it and, and, and make the punnets and obviously uh, buy the boxes that was, there was no boxes that was, that were pre-made to the size requirements that we needed. So we had to cut, again, custom make that box. And, and look, that, that creates a unique point of difference and, and that's what you need as a, as a business. You can't copy what's already out there. You have to create something that is different and unfortunately sometimes when you create something that's different, it hasn't been done before and, and there's costs and complexities around that, but that, that allows you to stand out from the rest. And was the cost and complexity of creating that packaging, I mean, was it worth it? Absolutely. And we, we, we did have some competitors starting when we started and they fell by the wayside very quickly I think because they realised um, the complexity and cost to get it going which was quite good for us. And how did you recruit people? I mean literally how would they know and learn about Harvest Box? As every business we sort of hit up our family and friends to test it. It was early days in email marketing and we utilised a lot of marketing businesses to effectively send emails out to people alerting them to our product and giving them a, a first offer. So, you know, your first box half price or your first box $1. It was very much an approach to, to reduce the cost as much as possible to, to allow people to try it because it's something different and we, we needed people to see what it was like because they hadn't seen it before. And was the email campaign a success? Did it help you recruit people? We, we did a lot of e- emails that were to the wrong people um, that would sign up and and a lot more than 30% would drop off. But um, once you got your, I guess, your demographics and the type of people you're targeting, um, you could improve that longevity of, of your customer a lot more. And, Will, how long did you stay with just the subscription service? Because I've seen in retail stores you have quite a large snack pack range. When and how did they come about? It was about three to four years that we had just the subscription. And we still have the subscription now. It's certainly not as big as it used to be because of various reasons. And one of the reasons is, you know, the retail offering is the area that we're growing much more. But we also saw some limitations in the uh, subscription model and particularly Australia Post and how they're charging. And then we, then we brought the stack packs in purely because we kept on getting asked, when are we doing a retail pack? When can I buy your product? Not through the online, but in a store. So we pretty much from the the outset from when we started, we, we had those questions. And so, you know, three years later, we decided to, to test it and, and do something about it. If people are asking for it, I guess that's a pretty good indication that there's an opportunity there. Absolutely. And you've got to listen to consumer. You know, you know your business best, but the consumer does provide a lot of insight in terms of the directions you should go. So you always have to listen to them. It's time for a quick break. And when we come back, you'll learn how Harvestbox geared up to create a brand new product that would compete in the crowded retail stores. I'd like to say a quick thanks to today's sponsor who helped make this podcast possible, the Monash Food Innovation Centre. They can help you fast track and de-risk your new products in the Australian market or export markets like China. Did you know that only one in 10 food and beverage products survive the first year of launch? That means nine out of 10 fail. If you'd like to be one of those businesses that gets it right, then the Monash Food Innovation Center can help. It has cutting edge technologies, product development services, 
and runs capability workshops to upskill business owners and employees in the art and science of food innovation. Whether you're a food startup or a large corporation, check them out at www.foodinnovationcenter.com and see how they can help grow your business through innovation. Hey everyone, welcome back to Eat, Drink, Innovate. I'm Susie White. So Will, George and James, the co-founders of Harvestbox, are on the brink of expanding into a new snack pack range. And I asked them, how did they know what products to launch? Because we had um, people rating our, our mixes over the last three or four years, we had a large amount of individual ratings. So we had over a million ratings across all our products. So what that allowed us to do was understand what products were the most popular and what products were the least popular. And we worked out from that we, we had our top six. In our top six, we sort of said, well, let's try and create these into a, a, a 45-gram pack. And what we did is we just did a, a pack here in Australia and did very short runs and sold it to cafes in Melbourne just to see what people thought of them. And that, and that worked quite well for us. And, and then we were lucky, very lucky, to have an opportunity to present to, to Coles. And we had a good story to tell, which is what they're after. We, we had a story that said we have these packets that have had, sort of had over a million ratings from consumers across Australia. We have the data that states that these products should work. And so it gave Coles a, a sense of um, understanding of that, okay, this, this product is, is a product that may work within our retail environment. Um, they've got data, they've got great mixes, they've got good branding. It's a risk worth taking. And that's the point at which they accepted it and they ranged it? And they took it. And, and, and literally it was, a, it was a six-month turnaround from meeting them to the product in store, which is incredibly quick, a small company. And uh, we, we got six products in, into Coles nationally, um, which was a, was a massive coup for us because typically for a small company in a supermarket like Coles or Woolworths, they'll do a small test in, you know, just in Victoria to see how it goes. So amazing results. You've got the distribution you wanted. You're going national into Coles. What did that do, though, to your supply chain? Could you make that volume of product? <laughs> we had to, to ramp that up incredibly quickly. And there was a lot of, obviously, close calls and, and film being produced in time and, and things like that. But, you know, you do what you need to do to get the product there at the right time. Initially, we outsourced uh, into a contract manufacturer our, our packets to be made. We couldn't take that risk to get the machinery to make these packets and, and fill them. And that was good for the first year or so to, to sort of prove the retail model for us. And that obviously has changed now. We do we, we have our own production facility in Dandenong. We pack our own food um, and we have control of that, which allows a lot more flexibility and, and a lot more cost control. And look, I do know from personal experience that retailers can be quite quick to judge the performance of new products. How did that first year in Coles go for you? Out of six products, we had you know three or four that worked well, a couple that didn't work well. The thing that we learned very quickly is to be on the front foot with big supermarkets and and retailers and keep the communications up. So you know you know that where a product isn't working, and you can rather than being deleted, you can suggest another product to change, um, and that's what we've done. So you know we've we kept six products in Coles for quite a few years. 
and we went through three or four, maybe five different products rotating through to try and find ones that worked. Some did, some didn't. But then that allow, allowed us to then grow to 10 products now that we, we launched in Coles in, in October last year. So, you know, we're, we're doing something right and, and, and it's working well. But the key thing for us is is rotating things through and seeing when something is wrong rather than ignoring it and hoping for the best. And the success you saw of the range in Coles, were you able to leverage that and go get more distribution, maybe with distributors? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Once you're in a big supermarket like that, like Coles, it gives you a story to tell and, and gives them comfort that this is a product that can be supported. Previously, when we tried to go to the distributors, it was a hard sell. Once we're in a, a, a major retail chain, it was a, a lot easier. Um, and that allowed us to, you know, overnight start to get our distribution stronger and bigger. And, you know, our strategy is obviously not to rely on big retailers um, as the main income. Uh, or revenue stream because you you become too reliant on them. Yeah, absolutely. And Will, you mentioned that for a number of years when you were ramping up the business that you used a local co-packer. Uh, how did you know it was the right time to change that and when did you do that? There was, a, there was a few negatives about contract packing. You didn't have enough control. You couldn't bring a, a product to market quickly to test it. So we, we sort of took the plunge to invest in a, in a machine to do it yourself and a facility that became available. So we took that opportunity. It was a bit of a risk, um, but we thought that was a, an opportunity to allow us to grow and have more control, and that was the, probably the best decision we could have made, um, to, to have more control of our production process and effectively our destiny in terms of where we could grow and be a little bit more nimble. And Will, I, I never asked, and going back to the co-founders, yourself and George and James, who does what in the business? I mean, do you split the tasks up? You have to have your segments. You, you need to have your areas of control. And you can challenge the other areas, but you have to respect those areas. Um, and we learned that very early on. I, I look after all the branding and all the marketing. George looks after production um, and James looks after sales. That sort of allowed us to separate and be more efficient in what, what we did. And we did that early on, which which helped immensely. Let's dive in now, Will, and talk a little bit more about your products themselves. Uh, What's the benefit of the product range and why do you think people are responding so well to them? So our our products are very much based on sort of natural food, dry fruit, nuts, um, easy to eat, no additives, no preservatives, no artificial colours, and trying to keep it as, as simple as possible. We've developed them to allow people to start the journey of, of snacking better. And if you're incredibly healthy, sometimes you don't have that flavour and it's very difficult to get people to stop snacking on junk food or confectionery and go towards a healthier product. So we sort of define our products as that initial step to start that journey of snacking better. Our, our most popular product at the moment is a product called Power Mix. And that's just a normal trail mix, but it's got a little bit of chocolate in there. And Will, I have tried your strawberry milkshake mix, but I was also equally tempted by the Go Go Goji and the Berry Bazooka snack pack. I just wanted to know, those are pretty funky and evocative names. They certainly caught my attention. How did you come up with those? Well, when we were creating names, it was it's a dried fruit and nut mix. It doesn't sound very appetizing. 
And we, we sort of tried to pull it back and said, well, if we're trying to convince people to move from confectionery or a bag of chips to a healthy snack, well, then the name needs to be appetising. It needs to grab their attention. It needs to, it needs to allow them to grab that packet because it sounds good. Um, so we created names that had a reference to what was in the, the packet or had a reference to what the outcome was. So, you know, the outcome for, for Power Mix is, you know, there's a little bit of chocolate in there, nuts and dried fruit. So it does give you some energy after you eat it um, and get you through the day. Strawberry milkshake, it's got yogurt balls, strawberries, blueberries, sultanas. It's meant to be like a strawberry milkshake. As a brand that you know, isn't well known as, as, as the bigger brands, the packaging is very important and the ingredients are very important, but the name and the feeling associated with that name is incredibly important. A lot of products that I see in the health and wellness space are very serious and very worthy about their healthiness. But when I look at your packs and I read the names and the descriptions, it's, it's really bright and vibrant and fun and playful. Why did you choose to position them in that way? You have to live your brand. So your brand has to, re- to reflect who you are. And, and we're, we're fun and we like, we like to enjoy ourselves and we like to, to push the boundaries. And Will, I've noticed you've kept the subscription model going. And you're often asking your members for feedback on new products and new flavors. Are you using that to find out what might be successful in the market for new launches? Uh, absolutely. It's really good for us. Um, it allows us to test products. Allows us to, it allows us to ask our consumers really quickly. We often ask people questions and get an amazing response um, about you know, what's your favourite ingredient or what's your favourite superfood or what do you like to give your child as a snack. It allows us to ask questions and it also gives our consumers a sense of involvement in the journey of Harvest Box. And you mentioned that you've now taken the business beyond just Australia. Why and how did you take that next step? Our long-term strategy was always to develop offshore as well. Um, and the, with the help of the Victorian government and the trade shows, it allowed us to go into the trade shows in Japan, trade shows in, in Hong Kong, China um, and Singapore and, and test the market there. Now, we got an immediate response which was amazing, and exports started pretty quickly. Slowly, but it, it's grown quite quite a lot now to be in seven countries. So being ranged in Starbucks in the Philippines, which is a massive coup for us, um, and, and selling really, really well. So you've obviously got a successful business on your hands, Will, and I'm wondering how high is up in the future? I mean, what are your plans for Harvest Box? It's an interesting question because we're at that stage now that we're, we're sort of looking at what can Harvest Box be and where can Harvest Box go to. And the tagline at the moment is guilt-free snacking, but it, it doesn't have to be snacking. It can be anything as long as the product is, is better for you, there's, a, there's an emotional connection to that brand. So, you know, where could we go? We could be, we could be anywhere um, within the supermarket. The philosophy is, is, is very much Harvest Box is, is to be emotionally connected to a, a better purchase, whether that's through non-GMO um, ingredients, whether that's through sustainability, whether that's a healthier for you uh, as a person, as a decision to buy that product. We think that the sky is, is blue and, and we, can, we can go a long way and hopefully we will keep on growing. 
And considering the success of your business and the expansion you're going through, has anyone come knocking asking to buy the business from you? A year ago, that we had a lot of people asking that question. We always talk to people, but um, but we're still self-funded. We still think we can do a few more things ourselves before looking at that option. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we, we enjoy where we are at the moment, and we're having fun, and we're still growing, so who knows in the future. And thinking about your entrepreneur journey over the last eight years, Will, what personal skill or attribute do you feel has helped you the most? Being um, aware of what's, what, what you can do and can't do um, is a great asset. Um, and relying on other people. You can't solve every problem yourself. You, you have to utilise other, other people and other experts. It's amazing how much help we've got in the early days from people that were bigger and better than us and to a certain extent were competitors that we're happy to provide assistance and and suggestions on on what to do and what not to do, which were great. But some of those suggestions you have to ignore because you have to follow your gut. And and I think that's where we've grown is when you follow your gut and stay true to what you believe. And Will, what advice would you offer to wannabe food entrepreneurs who may be thinking about starting up their own food business? (laughs) That's a good question. The easier life would be to stay where you are, but if you're passionate about something, give it a go because you're always going to regret not doing it. And that was the the, the reason why I started Harvest Box because I always had that burn inside me and I knew that if I stayed in the corporate world and I got to 50 or 60, and uh, I'd always regret it. So my philosophy is, is to try and to do the things that you've always wanted to do and have a go, and if it doesn't work, that's fine. You can, you can always go back to, to something else but you'll never lose the regret um, if you don't try and do something that you've always wanted to do. So it's a, it's a hard life. Um, it's very challenging. It's, it's very emotional and up and down, but it's, it's also very um, positive in, in how it affects your emotional well-being when you do something, you do it well. And, um, there is no better feeling. And if people would like to find out more about Harvest Box and where to find your delicious products, where would they go? Well, you can always, obviously, it's easy to go to www.harvestbox.com.au and that's got all of our products. It also has where we're stocked. For us, we always say that the easiest reference point is Coles, Coles Express and Costco, um, as well as BP, the key, key um, national chains that you can find us anywhere. But you... Also can find us in lots of IGAs and we're in Dan Murphy's and, and things like that. But, you know, if you ever want our products, you can buy online from us um, direct. Look, I'm always happy to chat to people. So um, if there's somebody who's wanted to start a new business, um, always free, feel free to make contact. Yeah, I'm always happy to chat. And thank you so much, Will, for coming on the podcast today. It has been just inspiring to hear your food startup story, and I wish you every success in the future. Thank you. Thank you. It was good to to relive a few things. (laughs) Thanks, Susie. Aftertaste, the sweet taste of success. Thanks for sticking around. This part of the podcast is when I think back on my chat with Will Cook from Harvest Box and talk about the innovative aspects of his business. And today I'd like to talk about the 10 different types of business innovation 
and how I see Harvestbox using this strategy for success. Now, the 10 types of business innovation that I'm talking about today were first identified by Doblin. That's the innovation division of Deloitte Consulting. And they suggested that most businesses only focus on one type of innovation, and that is product performance. However, there are actually 10 areas across your business that you can be innovative in. These are areas like profit model, how you choose to make your money, network, how you join with others to create value and go to market, your structure, how you align your talent and your assets, process, how you develop and create your offerings. Product performance, how you differentiate your product or service offer. Product system, how you create complementary products and services. Service, how you ensure and enhance the value of your offerings. Channel, how you connect your offerings with customers and users to go to market. Branding, how you represent your offer and your business. And lastly, customer engagement, how you foster a distinct experience with your customers. Now, Doblin compared the type of innovation that was undertaken by high and low performing businesses. And what they found was that the high performers were using on average 3.6 types of innovation across their business, whereas the low performing businesses only used one and over 90% of the time that was on their product performance. Their conclusion was that to be successful long-term, a business would be better doing multiple forms of innovation to develop a competitive and differentiated business that looked beyond only product performance. Now, by Will's own admission, Harvest Box's products are totally delicious, but also relatively familiar. Dried fruit, nuts, seeds, and sweet extras, those all existed before Harvestbox entered the market. And they were entering a really crowded market. It's not exactly a trade secret that health, well-being, and snacking are three of the largest and most pervasive trends in the food and beverage industry today, and pretty much everyone is jumping on that bandwagon. Let's talk about how Harvestbox was successful when they very first launched into the snacking market. They didn't just use one type of business innovation, their product performance. They went beyond this and used four types, which is very much in line with Doblin's findings about how you build a long-term successful business. Let's dive into these four types of innovation they used. Harvestbox innovated on their choice of distribution channel. Now, to get their fruit and nut snacks onto people's desks and into their homes, they didn't look initially to range with the big retail stores. Instead, they worked out how to mail their product in a customized tray format with just the right weight and dimensions to be able to post it at the same cost as a letter. Their subscription model and partnership with Australia Post was unique at the time, and it took them out of the retail competitive set until they'd built a loyal consumer base. 
The second way in which Harvestbox was innovative is in their means of consumer engagement. They use their website, email services, and Facebook to recruit and talk directly to people. Now, this enabled them to run offers like Freebox Friday and Gluten-Free Taste Test Tuesdays. So their consumers feel constantly engaged and close to building the brand. Thirdly, Harvestbox innovates on its new product development process. They don't just make what they can. They are constantly reviewing the product ratings from their subscribers and asking for feedback from consumers on their future proposed products. So they're able to constantly innovate new and improved product offers that are based on what people really want. And lastly, Harvestbox innovates on their profit model. When they very first launched, they established a simple subscription model. They set a fixed price for their customized tray of fruit and nut snacks, regardless of the changing type of products in that tray week by week. This made it really easy for consumers and it developed a secure and predictable revenue stream for the business. Being innovative in these four areas really helped catapult Harvestbox into the world of healthier snacking so that soon major retailers and food service providers in Australia and overseas were interested in ranging their products because they had a successful track record. Now, as food entrepreneurs, we all know the world does not stand still. And since I even recorded this podcast, Harvestbox have announced that they are closing down their subscription service. When I asked Will why they had decided to do this, he explained that Australia Post had changed their charges and their delivery schedules, making it more expensive and less accessible for their customers. So, happily, most of the products that were available in their subscription service are now available in snack packs in retail stores. And Harvestbox have also opened their own online store, so you can buy your favourites there as well. This is just more evidence that Harvestbox are continuing to innovate and thinking outside the box. Sorry, I couldn't let that one go. But seriously, if you'd like to learn more about the Dublin 10 types of business innovation and consider how you might use these for your business, I'll put a link with this information in the episode two show notes. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. And a big thank you to our guest, Will Cook from Harvestbox, for sharing his inspiring business story with us. Join me again next time to eat, drink and innovate. I'd love to hear your suggestions about any successful food and beverage startups, entrepreneurs and innovators in Australia that you think I should be talking to. You can get in touch with me at eatdrinkinnovate.com.au slash podcast and also find there all the food innovation resources and show note links. And if you like this podcast, please help others discover it by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts from.